listening to the Arsenal Rumble. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Arsenal Rumble, where today we're going to talk about a few of the match events and things that went down following the 1-0 defeat against Nottingham Forest, which uh, happened yesterday afternoon. And um, we're also, just before we start and get into all of that, I want to say a quick apology for us not doing a podcast following the Brighton game. Uh, my co-rambler Dave was, well, he was running a marathon at that point of time. So, uh, yeah, pretty good excuse. And we don't really want to have to go over that game, but we're definitely going to talk about it today. Yeah. But with me as ever, Dave, how you doing, mate? You right? Yeah, all good. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, I guess... If we're going to miss a podcast, that was probably the one to miss. Um, but uh, yeah, it, for honest reasons, yeah, I was um, running the the Rob Burrow Leeds Marathon, uh, raising some money for charity, and uh, that all went well. But missed the the the, the game completely. Um, and then, ironically, I was away this weekend for my friend's thirtieth birthday, uh, a surprise party. Missed the game again. The only two games I've pretty much missed all season. And yet again, we, we, we've lost. Um, so I don't know if there's some sort of bad omen there where if I don't watch a game, bad things happen. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'll try not to test that out uh, in the future. But yeah, all good, mate. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, it's definitely all of your fault, to be honest, that we've lost these last two <laughs> games. That You weren't watching it. Um, but yeah, you, you definitely had a good excuse. And um, to be fu- to be honest, if you want to get it out of your system and do it for the Wolves game as well, I'm all for it. But then as long as you're back watching for every Champions League game next season, then I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, to be fair, I'd really like to end the season on a high. I really hope that we can... Uh get that win at the Emirates because I remember last season when when we absolutely battered Everton it just left the season on a nice high and we can we can all celebrate the season at the Emirates as well um because it's been a an amazing season um ultimately you know it's not ended the way we wanted but I think there's a lot to celebrate still so I'm glad that we've got that final fixture at the Emirates so I definitely will be watching that no matter what yeah, I completely agree. And it's kind of, it just speaks volumes at how far we've actually progressed and how how much we've actually improved this season compared to last season. The fact that even in the 37th match, the 37th game week of the season, we were still potentially mathematically in with the shot of the title. Now that is unbelievable. I know, I know a lot of us were pretty pretty convinced that after we lost to City away that that was us throwing it away but it was still mathematically possible going into our 37th match that we could have actually still won the title so for I think comparing that to last season we probably would have fallen away from that mathematical possibility maybe like the 30th game or even beforehand so yeah we've Mm. made massive strides and massive improvements and it is quite unfortunate and to be crumbling down this way um because it has been a crumble it has been a cataclysmic you know just explosion and uh massive falling apart of the arsenal team uh, Mm. in our fixtures in the last six or seven games um and i think it's quite important that we go over it and we we, uh, Mm. realize what sort of things 
what sort of scenarios and situations we 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 managed to drop points in um, and managed to not get over the line and then compare it to the earlier in the season when we were winning those games. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be doing a, a bit of a brief chat on both the Brighton and Forest game because we've not spoken about either of them, but mainly we're going to talk about probably from the Liverpool game onwards of where we've gone wrong and where we've kind of thrown this this title away, aren't we? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I don't think there's too much points really overanalyzing this fixture. Um, you know, I think it's been a, a tough last ten games. I think that th- this was always going to be the crucial period, wasn't it? Um, this last ten games, and it, you compare it to City's run; they haven't even lost a single Premier League game uh, in the last ten games. Uh, we've won four drawn three and lost three, I believe. Um, so, you know, that that's not particularly great form and, and, and it's the exact thing that we always feared. You know, have we got the legs to to keep this title push going? We did strengthen in January to try and bolster that. Um, but unfortunately, it's still not quite given us enough um, strength and depth to... To help us when when injuries came and 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 when players started to get fatigued, I mean the the Saka that we're seeing at the minute is is a shell of the player that he can be, and that's no um, disrespect on Saka because he's played over three thousand minutes this season. You compare that to someone like Mares in the City team who's played a, a third of that. He's over only just played a thousand minutes, so they've got players of that quality fresh all the time. Uh, we haven't, um, and, and you know, it, it's affected us big time. And I think that is one of the, the biggest contributing factors to to what's happened in this last 10 games. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's definitely one of the, the, the main factors of City being able to just keep churning out these massive results, these big wins, and being able to compete in both the Champions League and the Premier League and the FA Cup as well. The fact that they've got this massive squad squad depth. I think I saw a stat before that um, Man City have the equivalent of 12 extra players on £200,000 a week worth in wages just in their whole squad compared to Arsenal. So it does show you the, the wealth and, uh, of, and strength of depth that they've got. Um, but that is something that we're aspiring to get to. That's the level that we need to be to be able to compete with this sort of team. And uh, hopefully this is another stepping stone towards that direction of being able to compete on all levels and all competitions. So, you know, if you look at it objectively, we had two eighth place finishes, a fifth place finish, and then a second place finish. So if you were to take a step back and look at that, you'd think, great, unbelievable. We've made such great progress and hopefully we can go a step further next season. I think it's just the chronology of results uh, and how we've fallen away uh, right at the very end of the season. You know, if, if for example, we had lost or drawn some of these games during earlier on in the season or midway through the season and then we finished well, then people would be really enthused by our team and saying how we could do massive things for next season. But um, mm. it, it's clear that we are better um, over the course of the season than 18 other Premier League teams. Um, just not Man City, this team. And I think Hmm. there's no team in the world, really. We even saw against Real Madrid, they absolutely dominated that game start to finish in both fixtures, really. Um, 
and Real Madrid have been one of the Europeans' giant teams, one of the best Champions League teams of the last decade. And Man City just made them look like kids, really, didn't they? they just, yeah. Well, not kids, sorry. Man City made them look like old Finnish men. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> the complete opposite. And um, yeah, it, it does show you the quality of the team that's been chasing us this whole time. And it was always a case of, can we get over the line before they captures? And unfortunately, we had a few stumbling blocks and then we had the game against them. And then from there on, really, it, it, we've we've not really been able to recover, have we? No, no, we haven't. And and I think you're right. You're dead right in um, analysing it from a, an improvement point of view, because um, you look at some of our top six rivals, um, the majority of our top six rivals, Bar City, have all performed significantly worse this season. You know, Tottenham are nowhere near where they were last year and have been for the last, um, you know, five or six years. Same with with Chelsea. They've massively dropped off. Liverpool, we've effectively taken their place in directly rivaling Man City. Um, you know, uh, Man United, we've, we've, uh, we've shown we're a better team than them. You know, it, it's just the, the Man City thing. You know, we've played them three times this season and... And lost all three times, so I think it's it's pretty unequivocal that we are not quite at the level of of, of that team as of yet. Um, and you know they've got a great manager, they've got great um, great players. Uh, their B team on its day could probably come second in this Premier League. You know, it's it's a, it's an absolute beast to compete with, and for footballing reasons alone, they are. A brilliant team but you know mm. take that away and there's all the other stuff that I don't really want to get get into but you know all the allegation stuff that that drives me up the wall um that, that's what frustrates me most but yeah for footballing reasons alone that that is the standard that we're going to have to try and compete with and it's going to be really difficult but we've taken that right step we're back in the Champions League it's not something we could have said over the last five or six years if not more you know it's, it seems like an eternity um, we can now start to attract the better players. We can now start to afford um, the salaries of, of you know improved players. You know we're already seeing it. We're signing you know players like Ramsdale onto contracts. We're rewarding them for their um, performances. Ben White seems like another one that's going to be next. We've already got Martinelli tied down. Obviously, the big ones now are Saka and Saliba. Can we get them tied down? But we're building that core squad and it's now just about adding the the final touches a little bit like what Liverpool did when they got the uh, the Van Dijk and the Allison in and it just sort of made them that absolute dominant team um so yeah i feel like we're we're on the cusp of of doing something really really big and and hopefully this is just the start of the journey um which is why mm. I, I try and look at it from that positive point of view because the fact that we're even in this position is great you know um yeah that's how that's how i'm trying to see it yeah yeah i would go as far as to say as well that saliba was probably our van dyke and then for him going out injured has probably been our un- mm. to our undoing hasn't it i think that's one of the main yeah. factors and as it is actually going on this losing streak which is pretty unfortunate and i think a lot of us actually did kind of forecast that happening when he got injured we were saying that 
we would really struggle and hoping that it was only going to be for two or three games. And then as soon as he was, as soon as he was ruled out for the rest of the season, there was always going to be a bit of a question mark on how we we're going to perform in the following games, um, especially, you know, Liverpool and Man City, et cetera. And, you know, we, we struggled in those games without him there. So, yeah, that is really unfortunate. And it does give us another, um, you know, another reason to strengthen the squads and strengthen those areas. Um Something which has been nice to see is Kivior coming into the fold and how he's performed since Holding's been out. He's he's played pretty well, to be fair. Um, maybe a competent player and um, potentially we should see Holding go and then build on him and have a better right centre-back option if Saliba was to um, get injured again in the future. Uh, and yeah, it's, it is just... Strange that Man City, the the second string team team would get top four, and then we saw today their fourth or fifth string team actually managed to beat Chelsea. It's crazy they made nine changes today and still managed to beat Chelsea. It's actually pretty disgusting. If we were to make that many changes, then you know I don't think we'd even be beating Championship sides. So we've mm. we've really got to get our hands in our pockets in the market in the summer. Um, I think. One thing that I would like to see Mikel Arteta um, actually get into is being able to being able to change for different game states and game scenarios. So, for example, when we did play against Man City, that's a must-not-lose game. That's the sort of game that you can't be conceding. And we know that if we play our kind of game against them, uh, we try and go toe-to-toe with them in in regards to trying to build up from the back and play through them. We're going to get beat because this is the team with four or five years, four or five seasons more of experience in doing that um, as a unit. So we need to be able to adapt. We need to be able to maybe play a low block, sit back, and then you know trigger those traps and send off Martinelli and send off Saka down the wings to be able to counter and um, create opportunities that way. I think we need to be more clever in those sorts of games to be able to try and make them winnable or at least make them not losable. Um, Mm. And also on the other side of that coin, I think it would be important for us to get some sort of big man in the striking area, some sort of unit up top that we can use in the game like we saw today against Nottingham Forest, where... We were playing that Unai Emery horseshoe football where we just couldn't play the ball through. We couldn't get into the box. And when when those situations arise, what you need is someone just to play those diagonal balls like you see City do. I know I'm talking about City a lot, but with good reason because they have been an example of how we should be playing modern football and should be able to adapt. Um, but yeah, if we play those diagonal balls into the box, have a big man in there who's going to be occupying a couple of defenders and if you play 12 to 15 crosses in the box then one of them they're going to gobble up that chance and then all of a sudden you're talking one all um and it's game back on isn't it so i think those Mm. are a couple of things that i want to see improved on for next season um is there any sort of player that you would have in mind to maybe fulfill that striking option or oh that's a good question um yeah, I mean, I, I always can't help but go back to that time when Arteta really wanted Dusan Vlahovic from um, Fiorentina, was it? Um, and obviously he's now at uh, Juventus. Things don't seem to have worked 
out too well for him, but it's hard to say that's down to him. It seems like there's just a bit of a bit of turmoil over there at, at Juventus. So um do think that, you know, we were in for him at one point. Could this be something that we revisit? Or could it be a case of, you know, he didn't seem that keen. He did mess us about a little bit. Move on. You know, you're not the man for us. Um, but someone of that ilk, you know, I think... I wouldn't just want a, a big lump, you know, like um, Veghorst at United because, you know, you can clearly see that it doesn't always work just having that big target, man. You know, someone like him has has made United awful, you know. They they play awful football for me. Um, and that's where it doesn't work. But where it does really work, and I know it's easy to say, but, you know, Haaland is, is the... Um, is the perfect example of where it can really work if you've got a player that's got a bit of technical ability, a bit of strength and pace. You know, it is. He's just got a little bit of everything. He isn't just one-dimensional like um, Veghorst is. So someone with that ability that, you know, can change the game and allow Arteta to make different in-game management or even start the games differently depending on the opponent... I think would be um, a real string to our bow. And it's something that we've brought up numerous times before on the podcast is is his game management. Um, but I don't always feel like you can blame him um, mainly because he doesn't have the tools. I, he doesn't have the players to be able to, to make that many changes and be effective. Again, down to squad size and, and then squad ability. So if we can now add these players in that are like a Flahovic or... An Aussie man, you know, I'm not saying that's who we're going to get because these players are going to demand absolutely huge fees. Um, and I think there are other priorities in the squad, but it also goes down to can we maybe sell well this year? I think I messaged you earlier today saying, could this be the, the year that we finally start to see Arsenal as a, a better selling team? You know, historically, we've sort of been bullied with, with selling players for far under what they're worth. Um, but now, you know, we, we seem to have a calibre of player that might not be do you know ready for the Arsenal team or r- might not be ready to to play for Arsenal, but can certainly be effective elsewhere. Um, you know, I'm thinking of players like Balogun, uh, potentially Tierney, potentially Smith Rowe. You know, it feels weird saying that because I, you know. I love a lot of those players that I just mentioned, but ultimately, do I see them being part of this Arsenal team? And I'm a bit on the fence of it at the minute. And um, off the back of the last six months, you'd have to say no. Um, so maybe it's time to to go out there and, and strengthen whilst we've got this position of, of Champions League football. Um, mm. You've seen it with Tottenham. It can be a case of now or never. They didn't strengthen well at all. And now they're in the Europa League, maybe even the Europa Conference League. Um, so it's it's Operation Rebuild again for them. And that's the last thing we want. We need to really be clever now. Uh, so it's going to be a a very important summer for, for us. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's any silver lining, it's it's nice to know that Spurs are probably like two or three seasons behind us now um, in their rebuild. So that's always good to hear. But um, yeah, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And um, yeah, it's 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 quite disheartening when 
things aren't going our way in games and then you're looking at the bench and you're thinking who's going to come on okay we've got Inketia, Vieira, um, maybe Trossard. And it's just so underwhelming. I know Trossard has been pretty good when he's come on, but Inketia and Vieira in replace for Jesus and Odegaard, the, the quality just drops massively. Uh, they're just not even not even anywhere near the same sort of calibre of players they, they're replacing, let alone trying to improve the team. So it's almost like we're reluctant to want to change anything in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I think... I know Inketia did well in Jesus's absence for the first few games, but I do think a lot of that is probably the unpredictability of how he's actually playing. You know, when he first came into the team, uh, before he before Inketia came into the team, teams were starting to suss out how Arsenal play and they're starting to try and figure out how to counter Jesus. He gets injured, Inketia comes into the team, all of a sudden it's a different Arsenal oh no, how do we mark this guy? He's running in behind us. He's causing chaos. Back to a few goals. And then all of a sudden, they were starting to get wise to what Inketi was doing. And it was a lot easier to snuff him out than it was to snuff out Jesus. And then he, well, he was completely nullified, wasn't he? Up until, Hmm. I think he actually started to get dropped before Jesus even came back because of how badly he was performing. And we started to play Trossard in that area. So yeah, I, I, I think... There's no real reason to hold on to Inketia. He doesn't pose any real threat when he comes on. Um, so if we could get a, a handsome fee for him, then I'd, I'd be happy to see him go. Same with mm. Vieira. I think he's had his season now. He's been poor. Um, mm. I think there's maybe minutes for him next season in the cup competitions, maybe some Champions League group stage rotation against the lesser teams. But apart from that, I don't see where he would feature. Um, Holding, of course, not not up to scratch, should go. Tierney, he's a weird one for me. I think he's shown his qualities um, and definitely highlighted when he's come on the pitch some of Zinchenko's flaws. But... You know, he really does not bring anywhere near as much composure on the ball and creative uh, creative ability that Zinchenko does. So I don't know if he's going to fit in our test system in the future. And with his stock probably being at the highest it's going to be in terms of us being able to sell him, then for me, I'm swaying towards sell. What about you? Yeah, if it's for a good price, for sure. Um, you've got to count. You've got to think about the fact that the play, the teams that are going to be coming in for Tierney, may potentially be Premier League rivals, i.e., Newcastle. They seem like the the most heavily linked to Tierney. Um, I've even seen some reports of City, uh, but um, I'm not sure how reliable those are. Um, but yeah. It, it's, if it's a if it's a good enough fee, and this is what I was talking about earlier, with um, now we can start to demand fees for players because they're of a, a certain caliber, and it's just a case of they want more minutes, not just a case of we need to get these guys out out the club um, because they're, they're dead wood, dead weight, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, Tierney can certainly be a, an asset. So um, if if we're getting offered good enough money and that can get reinvested into other priorities into the team, then yeah, I would. Um, which feels like it's really strange to say because he's one of my favourite players um, over the last two or three years. Um, 
So, you know, it would be sad to see him go. Um, but um, ultimately, I think we've evolved past the the way he plays. Uh, and if we can get somebody that um, plays more similar to, to Zinchenko, um, but, you know, mm. those players are few and far between as well. So it, it's, it's not an easy task to then replace. So you also have to think about is there the right replacement out there available for the the right sort of money? Couldn't we get them? You know, there's all sorts of variables that come into it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, for a lot of our players that are on the on the fringes, the, the for the right money, hundred percent. And and going back to Vieira, I think we need to we need to loan him out because I think even for the I think yeah, he could probably get some minutes in cup games in in you know in the league cup. But apart from that, I don't see him getting many minutes because he has not been he's not been at the level that we require, and that is such a key position for creativity in the team. The drop off between him and Odegaard is huge, um, and we can't afford that in the Champions League in the Premier League next year. Every game's going to matter if we want to be pushing for a title again. Um, we can't afford to carry players like that, so. That's going to be an interesting position. Do we go out and and look for some another creative type of player? I don't know. Um, there's, there's so many positions in this team, isn't it, that needs strengthening? It's like, how much have we got in the in the bank to be able to do it? Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree, and that's the thing as well. I think our first eleven, if everyone's fit and well is probably good enough to be able to compete in any of the competitions that we're going to be in. But as we say, we need to be able to strengthen our depth and have players of a quality that can come straight in and it feels like it's seamless, like there's no real drop-off in, in in quality. And and we just don't have that on our bench. And it's kind of catch-22 because it's like, how do you get players invested enough to want to join a team and accept the fact that they're not going to be the first name on the team sheet. They're not going to be in the starting 11 every week, but without having the promise that they're actually going to win trophies at that point, because the way the city do it, players come in, they know that they're not going to get a guaranteed 38 games in a row, unless you're Haaland, but you're not going to get, you're not going to play every game. Pep says that you're not going to play every game, but you're going to win some trophies. But Arsenal, we're not quite at the stage yet to be promising players trophies. I know we can say like this is going to be what we're developing into. And we're going to try and be this force in Europe and in the Premier League, but we're not quite there yet. Players won't look at Arsenal and say, oh, if I join Arsenal, I'm guaranteed to win a Premier League because we haven't done it for no, almost 20 years. But City have. They've won, what, seven in the last 10 years or something crazy like that. Yeah. So it, it's, it is one of those things that is so difficult to try and get really high-quality players on board with becoming the second fiddle to to what are world-class players as well. You know, it's how do we manage to embed that into our squad whilst keeping everyone happy? And, and what City do is also pay them the same salary as if they were a starting player, despite them being squad players. So, you know, that and that is something that we're never going to be able to do, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, to, yeah, it, it, it requires very clever recruitment uh, and it, a certain player that's that's got a hunger and, and a belief that they can take that number one spot. A little bit like when we got Ramsdale, um, 
he knew that Bird Leno was the number one keeper and he was told that Bird Leno was the number one keeper. He's there to come in as a, an expensive reinforcement in number two. And it was a matter of a couple of months, if that, before he he got that number one shirt and he kept hold of it um, because he's got that sort of hunger and drive within him. And it's that clever recruitment that we need to now start thinking about and uh, in other areas of the pitch. Um, and he's now got his, his sort of reward because he's just been offered this bumper contract. He's only been here two years and he's, he's almost doubled it. He's doubled his salary um, because he's managed to get, you know, retain that number one. So we need to get players like that. Um, I also think we need to try and um, think about the versatility of players as well. Um, because that can really help when things go a little bit pear-shaped with regards to injuries. Um, we do have some players like that in the squad. Unfortunately, this season, those were the players that got injured. I'm looking at you know players like Tommy Asu, who play centre-back, can play left-back, can play right-back, can play across that whole back line, and yet he's the one that gets injured. It's rotten luck, um, but... You know, those sort of players really can help you out. So I do think that that is an, another area that, that Arteta might look into. And I think we've already been linked with a, a right back at RB Leipzig. Um, Simikan, I think he is called, uh, who is sort of a, a right back slash centre back, a little bit similar to Tommy Asu. So um, players like that can save you money because you're not having to fork out for two players, but they're also highly skilled and competent in two different areas um and the squad harmony then is a little bit happier because less players you know more chance of minutes for players and and that way we don't have to necessarily worry about players becoming unhappy and 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 wanting to leave and you know all those sorts of things yeah yeah it really does seem like it's a balancing act isn't it between having a quality squad and then keeping all the players happy um but i guess one big factor of it as well is if you're putting a lot of money into their pockets they're going to be slightly happier aren't they if they're already signing for a top quality side and they're getting a lot more money than they were playing uh, for before then that does keep a lot of players interested which is also why I'm, i'm kind of a little bit worried about the the prospects of Newcastle as well because you know that they're going to spend big in summer and they're going yeah. to just strengthen their squad and and have all of these extra players because Newcastle they've been a great team this season um, but outside of their first eleven similar to Arsenal really um, they've not really had too much to be able to change things to to be able to change games because their squad depth like ours hasn't been too great but if they have indispensable amounts of money like we know they now have um you know that they're going to be another threat in the future um so we're going to have to contend with the likes of man city newcastle liverpool are going to come back man united they're never any slouches and then you know chelsea with all the money in their squad they're not going to be sat in 10th for next season uh, i hope they are but th- let's be real that they're gonna get something in check and they'll be also contending so we're going to have a massive fight on our hands to be able to try and compete in the Premier League next season. So it is so important that we can manage to get some of these top quality players through the doors. And 
One player who we both have earmarked, and I think pretty much most of the Arsenal fan base have earmarked already to try and uh, bolster our centre midfield is Declan Rice. Now, do you think he is the perfect kind of perfect piece to fit that jigsaw in centre mid? He played today against uh, Leeds, which West Ham ended up winning 3 1 to uh, put Leeds in really, really deep water for their last game of the season. Um, and he performed really well. I think he might have scored, actually. I'm not 100% certain. Mm. But um, yeah, Declan Rice, do you think he's a player that we can? bring in maybe as a Xhaka replacement and to accompany both Partey and Jorginho? Yeah, 100%, without a doubt. I think he's the the perfect candidate for all of that. And uh, yeah, he did score today. He also scored in the um, Europa Conference League semi-finals. Um, you know, he's adding goals to his game in this over the last few months. Uh, I think we've always seen that he can he can score goals. It's just he does play a lot further back for West Ham, depending on sort of how the game's going. Um, but he's, without a doubt, another one of those players where he's got a versatility to him. He can play that uh, parte role and, and sit back, but he can also play the Xhaka role and um, provide creativity and goals um, and assists, you know? So... Um, you know he's he's English, which means he's he helps the homegrown quota. Um, he's a leader. He's the captain of West Ham at the age of well, I can't remember when he was given the captaincy, but I know it was from a very young age. Um, he's versatile. He's you know he's got everything. Um, and I just yeah, if there's one player that we get this year, I, I really do hope it's him because he it just seems to fit like a glove and from the reports we've been reading it does seem like we are the favourites to land him and it does look like he wants to join Arsenal he wants to stay in London we're the only um, London team in the Champions League uh, next year so that's also fights off sort of any major competition for from Chelsea or Tottenham Um, yeah um, you know this is definitely a player that I think we should be going for but I do also think if we are going to be losing Granit Xhaka to Bayer Leverkusen, uh, it seems that that is a, a foregone conclusion, which is sad for me. Um, I think it's it, we're doing the right thing um, by you know uh, sort of allowing him to leave. Um, you know, I think he's been a great servant to the club. Um, so don't get me wrong there, but um, it would have been great to just have him for maybe one more year um, and be that sort of option that uh, squad option but you know that, I don't think that's what Xhaka wants he wants to be the you know a starting player so I you know I fully understand that but because of this I do think we're going to need to go out there and get somebody else as well I think I kind of already thought that anyway I already thought we need two central midfielders so it kind of makes it even more so important the fact that we're losing Xhaka as well um so you know maybe someone of the Caicedo mold but Again, we're talking a lot of money to get Caicedo. I think seventy million they turned down from us in in January. So who knows whether that that is the sort of ballpark figure that would even be um, able to secure someone like Caicedo. But I think if we were to get those two players, I think that would that would really shore up our midfield, and I think would help stop us from leaking so many goals um, because although. The Saliba thing was a big part of um, 
conceding a lot more goals with you know with Rob Holding, Kivior in the team. I do think the fact that players like Partey uh, underperformed and, and things like that. So I think securing up the midfield, um, an aging midfield, is is uh, you know the the highest priority this, this summer. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And um, yes, we're going to have a lot of quality and experience in that midfield with Partey and Jorginho. But as you say, they are ageing. Thomas Partey turns 30 soon and Jorginho, I think he's 31 already, isn't he? So we've got two older players who, you know, they're going to be great to to have and have that know-how to be able to win some games. But we're going to have to have some energy and have some <clears throat> some fresh legs in that in that midfield position. Um, but yeah, going back to what you said about Granit Xhaka, it is sad to see him leaving. But we all know that he probably could have left maybe two, three seasons ago. Um, so he he's he's given a lot to Arsenal. He's given everything to Arsenal. He's had his his lows. He's had his highs. Um, it's a bit sad that he didn't finish. You know, right at the end with him getting that taste of glory and getting that. Um, that title that he he probably deserves after his season he's had this this year because he's been brilliant, hasn't he? But um, if anything, he will take he would take some solace in the fact that he's finally got Arsenal back into the Champions League because mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, that is something that we were looking at at the start of the season. Um, in fact, last season when it ended after we didn't qualify for the Champions League. Everybody was saying how difficult it's going to be to be able to attract these these top quality players. They were going to say, we're saying without a, a massive fee, without a massive war chest of funds, we're going to really struggle to attract players to this club because we don't have Champions League football. But that's just not the case now. We, we've got Champions League football. We should have money coming in from players that are, are going to be offloaded. Um, mix that along with us finishing second, you should get some decent prize money from that. So, you know, we've got players going out the door and we should have enough money to be able to afford a player like Rice and probably to be able to afford a player like Caicedo as well um, for, for a reasonable price as well. You know, we're not going to be spending mm. upwards of 100 million on Rice. I just can't see that happening. I think... 80 million would be my my max for Rice and maybe 55 for Caicedo. And I think we've definitely got enough money to be able to afford both of those players, um, especially with, with players going out as well. Um, and yeah, it, I, I, I feel like now we're in the last, well, the last game against Wolves. I just want the season to finish, really. Um, I don't know about you. I know a lot of Arsenal fans are feeling the same. I think... After after the Brighton game, really, when we knew that it was a foregone conclusion that we weren't going to win the league and we couldn't finish third, we couldn't finish first, it just feels like you want to get into summer, get all the transfer news underway and try and think about the rebuild, so to speak, and the, um, the rest and recovery for next season and start to find out your Champions League groups and, and all of that malarkey. But yeah, it's, it's almost like a bit of... I feel like I'm in limbo now. I'm just sort of waiting for the season to end because, you know, the the last two games, I think that that feeling is maybe reflected on the players because as soon as we went 1-0 down against Brighton, um, you could tell that the players' heads dropped. You could tell that they just felt defeated. They just felt like, 
they felt like it was almost hopeless. And then we lost three 0 And I think a similar thing happened against Forest as well. You know, uh, let's talk about the goal that we conceded in this game. It was probably the only part of the match which is memorable because, as I said earlier, it was horseshoe football. We had most of the possession just going backwards and forwards down the wing, didn't create anything really. Um, neither did Forest. they didn't create too much, but this was something that we've actually seen quite often in the last four or five weeks where we've started to crumble is mm. one of our main men, Martin Odegaard, receiving the ball and he just plays a blind pass. Now this pass... It's, it's awful, really. It's, it's, it's schoolboy stuff. He passes without looking. He's got his head down. And for a player of his ability and his quality and his vision, like he, he normally knows where every player is on the pitch. You would not expect that from him. But he's done this three or four times now that he just plays a blind pass into midfield and then he gets picked up by um, Gibbs White, who, by the way, is... He's he's a really great player, Gibbs White. I think he's not going to be a Nottingham Forest for long. Um, he's one of these one of these up and coming English players that will probably soon um, get into the England team. Um, but yeah, he drives all the way through the Arsenal midfield, pops it off to um, I think Oweniyui. I, I can't pronounce his name, um, but pops it off to him, who then scores. And it was such a cheap goal to concede. And we know that Forrest were they weren't they weren't going to pressurise us because they had that fear of losing because they just want to get anything from this game to try and stay up. So for us to overcommit like that and then give the ball away, it's just so cheap. And we've seen it too often uh, in the last few weeks. It's little mistakes like that, you know, the mistake that Ramsdale made where he just passed it to their centre forwards, um, which game was, I can't remember, it's all like rolling into one, but where he just he just passed it to the centre forward. I think, was that a Brighton game? Or I think it might have been. Um, and we conceded then. It's just ludicrous. Like, how can we be conceding goals like that? The Bournemouth game, Southampton game. These are silly, sloppy goals that mm. young, inexperienced players, it's the mistakes that they make. So what we can derive from this is hopefully with experience, with a bit of a few more experienced players coming in and with another season under the belt of these young players, they might start to iron out these mistakes and they might start to have more control on games and be able to see games out when you when you tune it up to to not let them even get sniffed back into the game. This is what we want to see from our team. And I, I'm pretty confident that going into the next season we should be able to to start to do that. Mm. I think this season's gonna have um provided a lot of uh lessons to have been learnt, put it that way. You know, um I think that's uh adamant and not just for the players for for Arteta as well um so I think that and although it sounds like uh a negative I think it is a big positive that because yes we've come second and we've we've, we've not quite managed to do it but the, the, what we've learned this season is is big um for this team and like you say the mistakes we've got to start cutting them out and it is basics and you'd like to think that these things should in theory, be able to be cut out with relative ease. Um, I know it sounds easy to just say that, but 
I think, like you say, with with the right experience, and and now they're all you know older uh, and and more experienced. I do think that we are going to start to see less and less of those mistakes. Um, but yeah, I think the most disappointing thing for me with the, with this game is just the fact that there was just no fight, no quality. Um, second to last game of the season, and we went out with an absolute whimper. Um, so it's just it's just a bit disappointing, really. From you know, especially with I've seen what Arteta's been saying in the week. We've even got a, a Labrador now uh, at the training camp. Have you seen this called Win um, to try and invigorate the players? Um, all you know about taking this next step and um, and uh, just embracing the last few games. And it, you know, it was the exact opposite in this Forest game. So um, really disappointing. Um, and uh, yeah, so sad to to see us sort of yeah, go out of a whimper like that. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of get it though. Like, as as a fan, I was sat here saying about how difficult it was for me to try and get up for this game, to try and get you know in, involved and want to 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 watch the game and and be really invested in how we're playing. I found that really tricky today, uh, yesterday when I was watching the Forest game. So. Imagine that, but times 100, being a player on that pitch, being so close to potentially winning a Premier League title, and then you have all that deflation because you know that it's pretty much just slipped through your fingers and you're not going to win it. How do you even get yourself motivated to even go on the pitch and try and perform? And and, and especially when you're playing against a team like Nottingham Forest, who have got absolutely everything to play for. They're, they're putting their lives on the line to try and stay up. They're, they're, they're one of the, the potential four teams at that point that could have still dropped off. And I think after winning that game, they've rendered themselves safe. They've uh, stopped themselves from the drop, which is incredible for Nottingham Forest and great credit to them, to be honest. Um, if there is a silver lining on us losing that game, it's the fact that either Leicester or Everton will be relegated. That's a fact that's confirmed. And that is crazy. Uh, Everton haven't been relegated in, I think it was 72 years they've not been relegated for. And Leicester, you know, we, we've seen they've been a rival in recent years. They've been playing Champions League football. They, they won the title that, once again, we were quite close to contending with them for and mm. yeah, managed to bottle that one. Um, so, yeah, it, it, that's the silver lining at least. But, yeah, it, it's difficult to try and convince young players that have had such a massive opportunity ripped from their hands to, to try and get them invested in playing a football match, especially against someone that's got everything to play for. But yeah, I do think there's going to be a massive reset when we uh, when we finish the season. I think players like Saka, I think I saw a stat that he'd played in Arsenal's, or at least featured in Arsenal's last 78 Premier League games, which is unbelievable when you, when you when you think about the fact that in between those seasons, he's been playing World Cups and playing Euros. I think pretty much for the last three years, he hasn't had more than a month or so without playing competitive football, which for a young lad, that's going to take it straight on you. And you can mm. already see it in him. He's he's knackered, you know. He's He needs someone to be able to step into his, into his role. Um, I think we've only seen it 
once or twice a season where um, Trossard or Reese Nelson might have started above him, but then he ended up coming on anyway. So he's still he's still playing minutes. But you know, for someone who is probably our best player, our talismanic player, you just can't leave him out in important games. But that's where we need to have faith in in these other players to be able to come in do a job and be able to get us over the line in those games, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I do think that is, again, another position that we may look to strengthen. Um, Again, maybe a versatile type player. But then again, you know, Jesus is a versatile player. He played a lot of minutes for City on that right-hand side. Um, So maybe this coincides with what we were saying earlier, how a number, you know, an out-and-out number nine, you know, a Vlahovic-type player could be a player to bring in and maybe we move on players like Eddie and, and Balogun um, and then have Jesus as more of a, a number nine, but also a versatile player that can play on the right to give Saka um, a breather every now and again. Because, yeah, like you say, you know, we've just overplayed him far too much. And even in them games where we were winning, like by three plus goal margins, we were still bringing him on. And I'm looking like, what? why are we doing that? Just... Give him a break. Um, and now we're seeing it. Now we're seeing a very tired player. He's not fresh at all. Um, and to be fair, he still provides a little bit of a spark. Um, he's just that good of a player. Um, he's just... Um, we need to start taking a bit better care of Saka, I believe. Um, and um, then we'll start to see um, that, that star player again. Um, there's no doubt about it, but... A good um a good break over the the summer period should should obviously reinvigorate him and um yeah but um we've obviously got wolves to to play before then um and as I was saying earlier a bit of a uh a, a whimpering performance in this game do you actually think that we'll rise to the occasion and, and give the home fans uh, a nice three points on on the final day or do you think that we're gonna see more of this um dejected play because of the fact that like what you said um they're feeling the emotions times 100 uh because they've you know they've lived through this disappointing title charge ending in second place ultimately do, do, do you what, what were your thoughts on that one mm, i hope so i really do hope so um that the arsenal can bring out a massively you know, a, a massive performance for their last game of the season, just because you know how how uh, how we all responded to us beating Everton at the end of last season. You know, we smashed them, I think it was 5-1, and it really lifted the spirits of us and, and made us more enthused for the following season that, that we're going to be able to perform to those sort of standards. And um, yeah, I, I do really hope that we can put on a great performance just because... This team that we've built uh, and this team that we've been playing with over the course of this season have been, they've been incredible. They've been so good to watch. They've scored so many amazing goals. They've got us up a fit, off our feet on so many different occasions. We've scored last minute winners. We've and we've really gone toe to toe with Man City. They're one of the only teams that. In fact, no, the only team that's gone toe to toe with Man City this season. Um, no other team can say that. And, you know, apart from a bit of crumbling on our side, probably a bit of bottling, I think I would say that now, a bit of bottling on our side and 
Man City just being relentless and inevitable and winning, what is it, 15, 16 games on the bounce, which is you know, the sort of thing that they just do. And that's what you've got to contend with. But I, I really hope that the Arsenal boys, they get a massive win and everyone gives them a standing ovation just for, for how much they've made us start to believe again this season, made us start to think that we are a big team and we've gone we've gone past. We had a target of the Champions League and we've just smashed it out of the water. We've completely gone past that and we've gone straight to the next step of being able to challenge for titles. And if there's one thing that any of us would have wanted at the start of the season, it's to be back up there and fighting for the titles. So... You know, they've given us what we've asked for, um, apart from, you know, just not being able to get over the line and actually get the title. But what we wanted to be was a title-challenging team. And then it just goes into the nuts and bolts and, you know, the the individual little match events, which end up deciding deciding the games, you know, thinking about Saka missing a penalty when he hadn't missed any of his last eight or nine in a row. And then you've dropped a couple of points there. Things like... Martinelli's goal getting ruled off in the in the um, Old Trafford game, and we potentially could have won the game in that instance. You know, so many little deciding factors which could have fallen the other way: refereeing decisions, penalties given away, penalties not given as well to us. You know, these these are things which can decide games, decide titles, and the ways the games fall, the the um, momentum that you build from winning games, like we see with Man City. Going into next season, it just gives us hope that we can actually be back up there and, and that we can go again and be able to try and try and actually go one step further. And I, I do think we can go one step further next season, fingers crossed anyway. So that, that's why I, I hope we go out and beat Wolves. Yeah, 100%, mate. I think I couldn't have said it more perfectly myself, to be honest. I think the last game of the season always is one of those ones where um, you need to give the fans something positive to to leave on, if you will. Um, it's it's always a bit negative when you, you leave on a loss um, and then that almost looms over the, over the summer period, which is obviously um, a long period of time. Um, so... Yeah, I think uh, I, I do feel like we are going to come out for that game, though. Um, obviously, Wolves are uh, one of the poorer teams in the league this season. Um, so you'd like to think that being at home as well, we, we should be able to put on a, a good display. Um, we did see some strange changes in this Forest game, though, didn't we? So, like, um, we played a, a, an unfamiliar formation. Um, We've, we saw Kivior at left-back. We saw Partey at right-back at times. Um, so, I hope we don't do that again, if I'm, if I'm being perfectly honest. But do you think that's something that we may have to do, or, i.e. forced to do due to injuries? Or do you think that we may revert back to that 4-3-3 that we're accustomed to? Yeah, to be honest, I think Arteta in this game, he I think he knows that the league's already gone. So he's just kind of rolling the dice and seeing if if it's something that we might be able to to practice with, you know. Um mm. I don't think it worked. I don't think it was very effective at all. Um I think the idea that he had is if he has three at the back, uh, and then you have 
an extra player in midfield that we could potentially overrun the uh, Nottingham Forest midfield and have complete dominance of possession, which we did. You know, that to an extent did work. It was just the fact that we couldn't create anything from that. So it might be maybe something that he's building on for the future. Um, but at the minute, I just don't think we've quite got the personnel to be able to to pull that mm. off. Um, yeah. But, you know, if he's going to try something out in a, in, a, in a football match against a Premier League side, I think maybe it is the best time for him to be trying stuff out when it doesn't really mean anything. But then at the same time, I really want us to win the game um, just for that yeah. good send-off. So, you know, you can't really win either way, can you? But, um, no. yeah, I, I think we've pretty much touched on everything from today's game and, and last week's game. And and um, is there anything else that you want to add at all? Or I've, I've got one thing. Um I just wanted to make our uh, listeners aware that we have got a, an extra special podcast um, coming up very soon. And I will be interviewing um, an ex-Arsenal coach uh, who's called uh, Roy Massey. Some of you uh, will be aware of him. Um, he managed the um, the development team and was responsible for coaching players like Jack Wilshire and Alex Awobi, Benica Fobe. Uh, and even infamously was one of the coaches that actually released Harry Kane from our academies, uh, academy, I should say. Um, so he's recently released a book. Uh, we're going to be chatting about the book on the podcast, uh, going into all sorts of uh, weird and wonderful things about his career at Arsenal. So keep your eyes peeled for that one because that's going to be live um, very, very soon. Oh, I can't wait to to listen and tune in for that one, Dave. Uh, I think it's probably going to be the first time as well that we've actually had a, a guest on the show. And for it to be an ex-Arsenal coach is just incredible and amazing that you've been able to get the contacts to be able to pull that off, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah, tune in for that one, guys. So until next time, we will catch you all later. I hope everything's good with you all, and we will see you next time. Take care, guys. Bye. You're listening to the Arsenal Ramble.